Hi, and welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast. We have some exciting news we want to share with you, and that's that Rob's newest book, The Jordan River Rules, is finally here. It's been 20 years since The Red Sea Rules was published, and since then, it's helped hundreds of thousands of people through all kinds of crises. People write letters all the time to us about what they've been through. Now, he's written this book, The Jordan River Rules, to talk about how the swollen waters of the Jordan River were held back. This time, not to help the Israelites escape the enemy, but to open the path to the promised land, a path to victory. So maybe in your life, you're shifting gears. Maybe you're accelerating or slowing down. You wonder what's next. Our lives tend to move forward in different stages. So maybe you're figuring out post-pandemic life, or perhaps you've just graduated or had a baby or a change in career, or even you've lost a loved one. The message of the Jordan River Rules is that everything in your life so far has been God's preparation for stronger days ahead. Now it's time to move onward toward all the promises he has in store for you. You can search on Amazon for the Jordan River Rules to find the book and its accompanying study guide, which is meant for individual or group study. Or you can visit robertjmorgan.com. Use the code JRRPODCAST to save 10% off the book, the study guide, or the online study videos. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hey everyone, I'm here with my friend, Dr. Michael Didway, um, who has been a hero of mine for many years in preaching. He has conducted preaching conferences all over the world. I was with him uh, as, a, uh, as a listener, as a, uh, uh, just an attender in Edinburgh, Scotland, and had such a wonderful time, and then I've been at some of the other conferences. How many years, uh, Dr. Didway, have you been uh, sponsoring an annual preaching conference? Well, we started uh, Preaching Magazine in 1985 and uh, did the very first conference in 1989 in uh, Tampa, Florida. And we, at that time, I was thinking maybe every two or three years to do a conference. And that first one went so well and got such great response that we decided to try and, and do it annually. And sure enough, I was able to put together the next year. And so we went to Atlanta and then Newport Beach with John Huffman. And, and from there, it, it went. Well, there have been a couple of years we missed um, when uh, we were in transition, uh, f- uh, the magazine from Salem Media uh, to, uh, to me and then to the university, Anderson University, where I'm, I serve. And so uh, we did miss a couple of years. But, uh, and then the years that we've done the international events, like you mentioned uh, in Edinburgh, we had, uh, we've done the International Congress on Preaching in London, uh, Edinburgh, and then twice in Cambridge. Next year, we're going to be in Rome, by the way. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. People may be interested in that. There are uh, pastors who listen to this podcast. So uh, just before we get into anything else, tell us uh, how to find out about Preaching Magazine, about your online resources, and about next year's conference, how to register for it in Rome. Yeah, well, the magazine, uh, the website is preaching.org, preaching.org, and they can uh, go there, can register for a free weekly newsletter I do, uh, then also be able to subscribe to the magazine. Uh, The uh, National Conference on Preaching, uh, the website for that is uh, ncpnow.com. For the Rome event, which is not the National Conference on Preaching, uh, it's preaching.org slash Rome and be able to 
learn more about it. We're going to be, uh, I've got 16 preachers preaching through the book of Romans. Each one takes a chapter and they choose a text uh, from within that chapter. And uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a real joy to actually be in Rome and uh, think about uh, Paul's ministry there. Well, and it's a very moving city to be in when you look at it from Christian uh, background. Uh, Dad, I, I spent a week in Rome just trying to track down everything I could uh, and just came back with a wealth of uh, information. So I would encourage people you could visit Rome uh, and then uh, go to the conference and hear some of the world's greatest preachers. And one of the reasons you do this is to encourage European expositors and ministers as well, because that's a really tough place uh, to be a preacher of the Word. It is. We, uh, uh, what we're familiar with among American evangelicalism uh, is just simply not as common uh, in, uh, in Europe. I guess the closest place you can find something similar to American evangelicalism is Northern Ireland, I've found. But apart from that, uh, the churches tend to be much smaller, uh, and the, the pastors don't have the same kind of background and training in exposition. Uh, many of them don't, at least. And so uh, uh, what we do, these conferences and events, you know, our big goal is to encourage pastors. It's tough being a pastor. And uh, all the burdens and challenges that they face, we want to encourage them, help them to um, to have a new sense of excitement about what they're doing. But we also want to provide insights, training, uh, help them to become more effective at what they're doing. I just think it's wonderful. Well, let's talk about exposition. When I think of exposition, because I've tried to be an expositor, that's been my primary pulpit motif all these years. I think of, I think that there are many different forms that an expositional sermon can take, but it is characterized by being text-driven, uh, pericope-driven uh, usually, and uh, uh, and tightly interpreted and applied within the context. But how would you define um, exposition or an expository sermon? Well, as I tell students in a preaching class that uh, one of the easiest definitions to remember about uh, expository preaching is it's a, it's a sermon in which the text drives the sermon. Uh, in other words, what we're trying to do is what I'm trying to do in the sermon is to communicate what God has said in his word. And uh, so that's uh, requires doing good exegetical work so that you really understand what the text is all about. And then, but to me, it's more important that I think there are some pastors that do the exegetical work and simply then dump that on the congregation. You know, I, I laugh and say that's not exposition; that's exegesis on parade. Um, it's important now, not, after you've done the exegetical work and understand the text is how do I translate that in such a way that my congregation can understand this text, but even more important, can a, it'll apply it to their own lives. So my own, def, you know, my own favorite definition of uh, expository preaching is that it is the anointed application of a biblical text. Because to me, the key to exposition is application. It's that uh, that we are taking, opening up this text, uh, exposing it so that we understand what it is, but then saying, "Here's why God is telling us this. This is why it's in the Word. It's because what are what are the implications of this text for our lives?" 
because otherwise it's it's a commentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's what don't you think that is what a lot of pastors or a lot of people think an expositional sermon is that it's it's a, a dry commentary on a text because they don't really understand the power of unfolding the logic that is within a text and then applying it uh, vividly to people's lives. They think a topical sermon is so much better, but it doesn't convey the same power because it's it's originates from our thoughts instead of God's pattern of thinking that is embedded in the text. Yeah, I have a, a friend who said that he was uh, having a conversation with someone, and the person said, I don't like expository preaching. And so my friend said, well, tell me why you don't like it. And so after the person had explained why they didn't like it, my friend said, well, it's not expository preaching you don't like. It's bad preaching you, you don't like, uh, as in any kind of preaching. Expository preaching can be done badly. Uh, if all we do is just regurgitate what's in the commentaries, uh, well, frankly, I can read the commentaries. Uh, so uh, it's more than that. It is, uh, it is helping the, the meaning of this text to explode in our lives, is through the Holy Spirit taking the words of the sermon and driving them into the hearts and minds of people. Uh, preaching is an event. You know, it is a place where God meets us. And, uh, you know, could God do it another way? Absolutely. But by the foolishness of preaching, he works through that. And so uh, as those who preach, we are uniquely gifted with the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing uh, in that. So I, 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 I think that, uh, to me, uh, one of the real keys to, uh, preach, to expository preaching is to dig into the text to identify what did this text mean to the very first generation that heard it, uh, with, uh, it, whether they read the text or, more likely, they heard it. Because we know that in ancient times, people didn't tend to sit quietly and read. Reading was done aloud. Someone read. And so when Paul sent a letter to a church, he would send a messenger, and they would read the letter out loud, uh, basically preach uh, what Paul had written them. And so we, uh, uh, as we uh, come to the text, we want to really be a part of what God is doing in driving that into the lives of people, and so, which is why I put so much emphasis on application. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and application is not just, okay, here are three steps to, to do this, but it's what are the implications of this text? What, what difference does it make? that God has said this in his word. And that's, as preachers, that's what we are trying to help our people understand. And I found that one of the best ways of doing application, I'd like to see what you think about this, is with illustrations. Because the right, if you can find the right story, then it shows people in a neutral zone how that applies to their life. You take this picture over here that isn't, uh, that is parallel to them, but is not intimidating to them, and you show how it works, and they make the uh, they make they can make the transfer of the truth into their own lives. It 
I, I have to work hard to find those uh, stories and those illustrations, but they're worth everything, aren't they? Yeah, they absolutely are. There's, I've had preachers before tell me, said, I get so frustrated, they don't remember any of the outline, but they remember all the stories. And I just say, well, duh. You know, so, so work hard on the stories, because if they, if they carry those away, make sure that we help them understand what, what does that story mean? Why is it important? Um, it's... Uh, uh, the stories are very important. There's something as you preach, and I know I know you've probably had this experience. You know, when you come to the story, the once upon a time, people literally will start leaning forward. Mm-hmm. They'll move up in their chairs. There's some, there's a power uh, in story. Now, Don Snookin has an interesting observation. He says he separates illustration and application. He says illustration is where I describe how this truth applies in someone else's life. Mm-hmm. Application is where I draw pictures to show how it would apply in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of an interesting, I can talk about, uh, uh, you know, if I'm talking, trying to talk about persistence mm-hmm. and what scripture's saying, I, I could illustrate that by, uh, you know, describing how Abraham Lincoln had uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, he was finally the the general who would uh, who would stay at it and and work, and he was just persistent and kept at it and kept. That's a that's a great illustration of persistence. But if I want to do application, I draw pictures of what does it look like in our lives when we are persistent, and I may talk about uh, that person in our congregation who has struggled with health issues, but they've continued to stay at it. They've continued to be faithful. Uh, and it, an example so that uh, pictures, and, and again, it, it's those stories, pick, you know, providing word pictures mm-hmm. to help people understand what would this look like? What is the, the theological truth in this text? What does it look like if we put it into practice in our lives? And the right illustrations and stories are also important for the children in the audience because um, if you have a church that has elementary children there, They'll get a lot more of that sermon than anyone thinks they are, but it's the stories that will keep their minds uh, right with you all the way through from first to last, even if they appear to be drawing and doing something else there beside their dads and moms. So so I, I love finding the right stories. The application, I think, begins when I am studying the text and I'm trying to figure out what is God saying personally here right now to me? If I don't have that step, then it's very hard for me to suggest application to other people. It's got to really, it's a very personal thing, isn't it? Preaching, even if you don't use yourself as the illustration uh, very often, it still is a very personal process. You're communicating truth through personality. Then someone's, I think, defined preaching that way. Yeah, Phillips Brooks called it uh, preach is truth through personality, uh, through the personality of the preacher. I, as you mentioned the children's sermon, it uh, it, it brought to mind a, a little secret I've learned is that it's not just the children that enjoy those. The, uh, uh, it's, you can watch the parents and the older people in the congregation kind of lean forward, and uh, some of them, I think, pick up more from the children's sermon sometimes than, uh, uh, than from some of the sermons themselves, but absolutely. Um, I'll I'll confess that there have been a few times when I've gotten sleepy during a sermon. But if the preacher will go into a good story, then sometimes I'll wake right back up. Um, uh, Do you—are you concerned that expositional preaching 
in local churches is declining, or do you think it's increasing right now? From your observation, this is a very general question, and, and I don't know if there's any uh, data for it, but, but how, what's your instinct on this? Well, uh, I, one thing that I've, I've observed is uh, among evangelical preachers, most of them think they're expositors. Now, if you actually start looking at their sermons, many are not. Uh, many are really more topically oriented. Uh, you know, a sermon is not expository simply because it has a text, uh, because it's what you do with that text, how you open that text up. So, but I do think there is a lot of great exposition going on. I, one of the great things about the internet is that we have access to uh, gifted preachers uh, across America, around the world, uh, and there's a, a lot of great expository preaching. Uh, going on, and and it's make, making its way into other uh, other groups and, uh, uh, within the church, folks that maybe have not been as exposed to that. Uh, one of the things I'm particularly sensitive to is, for example, in the African American church, um, because in our Clamp Divinity School where we uh, where we teach, uh, over half of our students are African American. And I, I now preach more black churches than I do in a white church. I just and I, I love. There's a great, uh, uh, just a great passion in the African American church and a love for preaching. But it's been interesting within that church, within the African American church, we've seen a growing interest in expository preaching. But now the thing is, you don't have to lose the uh the what's makes it strong what makes african american preaching strong that narrative quality um you you don't have to lose that you can combine that put together that with um uh, with, with uh, expository preaching uh but something you said a moment ago about the uh, applying it to to myself uh one of the things Haddon robinson uh in his book biblical preaching wrote a uh uh, in his definition of expository preaching, uh, he talks about it being a you know a, a biblical idea, but he says it's first applied to the preacher, mm-hmm. and only then to the congregation. Yeah. So when I'm preaching, I have to wrestle with that text. First of all, what does it say to me? Mm-hmm. What is God trying to communicate to me? Uh, an example of that: I'm interim pastor in a church uh, now in Anderson, South Carolina, where where we are. And um, I, I did a series through the Lord's Prayer, and it was interesting when I, I started studying, you know, hallowed be thy name, uh, God really convicted me. I'd not been hallowing God's name in prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, the prayer, uh, the, my prayer was too often jumping straight into, okay, God, here's what we need, here's what we need to do, as if God really needed to know what I thought about uh, uh, we needed, but it was a great reminder to me as I wrestled with that text of, you know, that honoring God's name is a key element of opening myself up uh, to the Lord in prayer, and so those kinds of things mean a lot. Uh, that's part of the value of. I know we live. Uh, the internet uh, is both good and bad, and one of the things that can happen is it's easy to download someone else's mm-hmm. sermon and preach it as if you're, it is yours. But one of the challenges of that, one of the tragedies of that, is if a student, or excuse me, if a pastor does that consistently, they're not wrestling with the text on their own. Mm-hmm. And part of our growth and maturity as Christians and, and as preachers, as pastors, is that opportunity week by week 
to wrestle with the text. What does it mean to me? And now what does it mean to my congregation? It's got to flow from our innermost being. One last question. Uh, if someone is listening to this and they would just like to to read a good book on preaching, I know there are so many of them, but are there two or three that you uh, that are on the top of your mind that you'd recommend? Well, for example, in the in my classroom when I I'm teaching preaching to uh, uh, to seminary students, uh, I mentioned Haddon Robinson. His book Biblical Preaching is a classic. It's used in more uh, evangelical classrooms than any other book. Uh, it just does a great job of kind of step by step talking about what we do. Uh, there's some other good books on expository preaching. Brian Chapel's book mm-hmm. Christ Centered Preaching uh, is an excellent book. Uh, right now, I'm in the midst of working on the second edition of a book that I did and came out in the early 90s, The Handbook of Contemporary Preaching, which is amazingly, as all this time, is still in print and still being used in classrooms. And so I finally convinced the publisher to do a second edition. So we're, we're working on that now, and that'll come out next year. And that's got more than 50 chapters, each written by different people, talking about exploring different aspects of of preaching. So there's just a lot of wonderful resources out there now, not only in books, but uh, online, a lot of uh, great uh, tools that are available. Well, I would like to encourage everyone to go to preaching.org and to follow along with the resources that you're making available, maybe to think about coming to a conference or a congress in coming years. And Dr. Didway, thank you so much for your many years of passion. You have taught a whole generation to preach and to preach expositionally, and um, I'm one of the ones that's been benefited, that has benefited from you so much, and and so thank you, and the Lord bless you. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you, and I've I have enjoyed uh, being acquainted with you and following your ministry, and thank you for what you do. You're welcome. You're welcome, and thank you uh, for all of you for listening, and the Lord be with you until we meet again. <laughs>